You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Second Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be in our, in our preaching tonight. I'm just going to jump right in here. And let's go ahead and stand... We're going to look at the first nine verses of chapter 8, skip a a couple, maybe read a verse or two, and then end up in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. It says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of of their liberality for to their record I bear or sorry for to their power I bear record yea and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints and this they did not as we hoped but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. What a great verse. Look down to verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Look down to verse, chapter 9, verse 5. It says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Look down at verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. And you say, I don't know what that means at all. Well, hopefully we'll be able to explain it a little bit tonight. Because this passage, these passages right here, give us insight into the heart for missions giving that we should have. And we'll look at that a little closer as we go. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. Father, we're grateful for your word and we are thankful for the way that you speak to us through it, through your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for uh, your word this morning, even the way that we, we see it work in our lives, in our hearts. And and I pray that you do the same thing tonight. I pray that you would help us in this, on this subject 
of giving to to be willing and and open to what it is that you would have us to do. God, we want to make sure that our resources are not hoarded for ourselves, but used for your greatest good. We love you and we're grateful for your blessings. We pray that you'd help us as we look into your word tonight. Speak to us very clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So as you've probably already guessed, we're looking at giving again tonight. And uh, I preached on giving on Wednesday night out of Proverbs 11. And, and for those that maybe tuned in for the first time to Eastside Baptist Services on Wednesday um, and you're tuning in tonight, no, I don't always preach on giving. It may just seem like that because two services in a row. Um, but one of the more well-known passages about giving is this passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 from the Apostle Paul. And, as, and, I, and really, what I'd like for you to do is, is maybe if you have something to write these things down on, just to kind of keep track of, of the principles that Paul teaches, because I do think these are the kind of principles that we need to remember all the time as we give toward mission. So if you've got something to write, and I don't normally ask for that uh, as either, but I, do, I just think it'd be a help tonight. But as Paul writes this second letter to the church at Corinth, we know based on other passages that there's great poverty in the church at Jerusalem. So when we get to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's talking about something that is well known in other parts of the scripture, um, and that is a, an offering for the church at Jerusalem because of the poverty that they're facing. In Acts 11, for instance, we could look at it, but, but we're not going to tonight. Paul and Barnabas take an offering. They take an offering to the church at Jerusalem because of the famine. And that led to many in Judea being poor and in great need. You could read it in Acts 11. We could look over at Romans 15, 25 and 26. That, and Paul writes, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Okay, so the, the context of, of this passage right here is the poverty at the church in Jerusalem and how all the other churches in the region are coming together to give toward that church at Jerusalem. Uh, look at chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is writing this passage to the church at Corinth to give them an example of the kind of giving that other churches are pouring into the church of Jerusalem. So Macedonia would include churches or cities like Philippi and Thessalonica. There are other Gentile churches across the region that we know got involved in this offering. And, And they were doing it because the church at Jerusalem mattered. It was a very important church. It was the very first church. It was the church that Jesus Christ started. And, and, it, and that church had actually been uh, the reason that other churches had been started. They had scattered, as we looked at this last week, they had been scattered or dispersed. And, and that dispersion led to the starting of churches in other places. So the church at Jerusalem, it mattered. It was important. It was historic. And they, they were still doing the work of the gospel. They were still reaching their area with the gospel. They were still ministering to a large population because Jerusalem was large, but there was a famine and there were food shortages. 
And there was likely overtaxation. That was a, a typical trend in the New Testament. The Romans were overtaxing the church, the, the, the Jeru- those that lived in Jerusalem. There was a large population. There was a large church. And it was making it difficult for them to meet all of their needs. So here's the parallel then that we come to when it comes to missions. Is that money is required to do the work of God. And a lot of times maybe you might get, you hear somebody get up and preach And they're preaching about giving and giving to the work. And and it may seem like it's a little bit overboard. But Paul's doing the very same thing right here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And faith is important. It is. God can take care of our needs. But God's work depends on the giving of his people. He, He often uses our faith in giving to accomplish his work. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on the key uh, to open gospel doors and how prayer allows us to partner with a missionary overseas as if we're standing next to them while they witness. But biblically speaking, we have another way, another form of partnership here, and that is that we can share in the fruit of others laboring in other places if we give to their work. If we support them, if we, if we give, our gifts enable missionaries to stand in streets that we'll never stand in. It enables them to talk to people that we'll never meet and win souls that we won't know until heaven. Our giving puts us in the, in the passenger seat with a missionary, just like prayer does. But the cost of modern missions, it's a barrier to the work of God. I mean, it's expensive. I, I mean, you, if you look up how much it costs to send a missionary to certain places, uh, like uh, send them to certain places, maybe like Tokyo, Japan, you'd be shocked at how much it costs to support a missionary monthly in a place like that. And money doesn't win souls, I know, but consistent, sacrificial, financial commitment of God's people puts the servants of God in a position to give out the work of God. And you might say, well, we should just live by faith. And I understand that, but we have pretty good biblical precedent here from the Apostle Paul himself that it's okay to have faith and still financially commit to something. See, when funds are lacking, it hinders the work. If a missionary wants to get on the field, it delays them getting on the field. If there's not finances, it can slow the progress of those already there. So if we have a heart for missions... We should be asking ourselves, how should I get involved in giving toward a cause that matters in eternity? That, that was the question the church of Ma- churches in Macedonia had answered already. They knew the work in Jerusalem was important, but because it couldn't sustain itself, they acted in a cooperative manner. Okay, are you understanding? Are you with me tonight? Okay, they they were acting in a cooperative manner, and and they were supporting the work together. That's missions in a nutshell. I mean, again, the church of Jerusalem didn't have the money to sustain itself. They were going through trials, but they still wanted to keep the work going. So churches all over the region got together and cooperatively worked together to sustain the work in Jerusalem so that the work of God could continue. What missions, our understanding of missions is a very biblical model. When we cooperate with other churches to give toward those that need to be sustained and that need the help, they can't sustain themselves overseas. We are doing Bible work. That's what we're doing this week. Not just through today's offering, but with next week's commitment as well. There's a need. We should be biblically involved. And therefore, we need to determine how involved we can be 
uh, in a cause that matters in eternity. So as we begin, I'd like to just go through simply tonight some principles that Paul gives in these two chapters regarding giving toward missions. And there's seven of them, but I think as we see them, you'll see how they apply to us too. There are at least seven. I'm sure there are plenty more, but these are the seven that I had time for in tonight's message. Be thankful I stopped at seven. Here's the first thing. The first thing to do if you want to please God with your missions giving is to give yourself. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. Give yourself. It says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And I love this verse because it says they gave themselves. They gave not just their pocketbooks. They gave their own selves to the Lord. And here's the idea, folks. If God has me, he has mine. If God has me, if God has my whole self, then anything included in self is his as well. If God has my heart, he has everything else. And this comes not first in the text necessarily of all the principles we're going to look at, but I think it should be first on the list. If you want to get please God with your missions giving, don't start with your pocketbook. Go to verse 5, and when it says, This they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. You want to please God with your giving? Don't, don't just surrender your wallet. Surrender yourself. Surrender your life. And tell God that he has everything that you have. It's all his. If he has me, holding on to my money won't be a problem for me. Before you commit your finances to the Lord, commit yourself to the Lord. Commit your life to the Lord. Surrender yourself to the Lord. In Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is God's will for us to surrender everything to him as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices hold nothing back. And if God has me, he has mine. If God has me, he has whatever's in my pocket. If God has me, he has everything about me. And Matthew 6 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our finances clearly indicate where we ourselves are. And by the way, it leads to another conclusion. God isn't only interested in our money. He wants our lives. We're really good at saying, I'll give, but we're not as good at saying, I'll go. We talked about that this morning and how that's a big step in the process. If we're going to send, we've got to have somebody to send. But we Americans, are, we have to guard against this bankrolling mentality. I know that sounds uh, maybe, a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit carnal, and that's not what I mean. But I do think that mentality creeps in, in that we live in America, and, and we have the money, and we're supporting missionaries, and we're submit, sending missionaries all over the world. We have the money, we write the checks, and we, we bankroll it while other people go out and do the work. And as I mentioned this morning, the trend in recent years is fewer and fewer people surrendering to give their lives and go. And as Americans, we need to stop assuming that we're going to bankroll missionaries and maybe stop to consider that God might have us be one. See, God wants more than our money. He wants us to get up and go into our neighborhoods, 
to go into our surrounding communities and their countries overseas. He's not just content to have our wallets. He wants our lives. And if he gets our lives, he has our wallets. That's why I started with this principle, because first they gave of themselves, their own selves. If he has us, he has ours. The second principle um, is give. So first is give yourself. Second is give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Look at chapter 8, verse 2. He's talking about the churches in Macedonia. And it says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. So this seems like a, a bit of a contradiction because Paul is saying that the churches in Macedonia, they were in a great trial of affliction and they were in deep poverty. And you would think that Paul was saying that the churches in Macedonia were the ones that needed the offering, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying they were in great trial of affliction and they had deep poverty, but God used them to give and be a blessing to other people. We don't know what their great affliction was. We have to assume it was probably persecution. Uh, The churches in Macedonia were trying to live for Christ in heathen cities. They were likely facing persecution. And we don't know all the details, but we do know this. The churches in Macedonia did not give out of abundance. The churches in Macedonia, they gave out of poverty. They gave when they had nothing. They had a long list of their own needs, yet it says in verse 2, they had an abundance of joy. And this abundance of joy allowed them to be singly focused on meeting the needs of somebody else. And it may not sound right, but it's right here, and it's this phrase, we are to give out of our needs, not out of our abundance. That's what it means to give sacrificially, that we give out of our needs, not out of our abundance. And it makes no sense, financially speaking, does it? I mean, if you don't seem to have it, then you can't really give it or you can't invest it. But we find out that, that next, the very next thing that, well, the very next thing on the list is, is giving is a grace. And that is when we give in spite of our own needs, God's grace abounds. And he does something with our sacrifice that we could never do on our own. Just think about the little boy that brought the five loaves and the two fishes. And he gave everything. And God did, because he gave sacrificially, God was able to transform that into something that little boy could have never done on his own. And I don't know how it works. I'm not even sure that I, I mean, I can't even put, there's no, there's no math formula to put to it. I just know that when we give out of need and not out of abundance, God can transform it into something greater than we ever imagined. And I don't know how it works, but Paul is saying the greater your need, the greater God can abound through your giving. And you might say, well, I don't have money to give. Well, neither did the churches in Macedonia. But according to this, that's what qualifies us to give. If you say, I don't have much to give, so I'm not really, I'm not a candidate to give to missions. And yet we see here that Paul is using those that were in deep poverty and have the great, had the greatest needs. He's using them as the example of how to give to missions. It's not about giving out of abundance. And you, you aren't qualified to give to missions if you have a certain amount of money, a minimum amount in your bank account. No, you just have to be willing to give sacrificially. We often, often look to give out of excess, out of abundance. To give in such a way that it doesn't cost us much. But sacrificial giving enacts something from God that multiplies through His grace. Sacrifice. 
And it reminds me of the difference between commitment and involvement. Maybe you've heard this before. It's the difference in commitment and involvement is the difference uh, between in a breakfast between bacon and eggs. That the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. You know, and sometimes as God's people, we think, well, I can be involved. But God's not looking for our involvement. He's looking for commitment. He's looking for sacrifice. He's not looking for us to give out of abundance and give out of excess. Well, I have it in my budget so I can give. No, he's looking for us to give sacrificially. And if we do, he does the rest. And it leads right into the third point. So we give sacrificially and then we give by grace. We give by grace. Write that one down. It's number three. We give, give yourself, give sacrificially, and give by grace. Look again at verse 2. It says, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Look down at verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. So the churches in Macedonia, they had problems of their own. They had a long list of things, but their desire to give set God's grace in motion. See, many people call it faith promise missions, which is typically what, what we would call it, what I would call it. Other people call it, though, grace giving. And the idea is the same, but it's based on these thoughts from Paul that giving is something God provides the grace to do. See, in verse 7, he talks, it goes through a list. He says, therefore, as ye have, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, which is the ability to give out the gospel, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love, see that ye abound in this grace also. And he calls giving a grace. See, we aren't naturally in ourselves good at having faith. And we may not be naturally in ourselves be, we're not bold for Christ necessarily with an utterance. Maybe we're not naturally good at loving each other. It takes a lot of work. It takes God's grace. We need God's grace to be able to display those traits of Christ. But giving is the same. It's put on the same level. It's not a natural human characteristic to just be a giver. If, if you think that it is, just go to the nursery and watch for a while. There's not a natural tendency to be selfless and to be giving. And you say, well, but you should meet my child. My child is exceptionally giving. No, every, every child that I've met, they may give occasionally, but it's usually because they don't like the candy they got. <laughs> I want you to have it. No, we're not naturally good givers. If we were naturally good givers, Paul would not have called giving a grace. He would not have said, well, we need grace, just like you would need grace to have faith, and you need grace to have an utterance, and you need grace to have knowledge, you need grace to be diligent, you need grace to love other people, you also need grace to be a giver. We need God's grace to give. And I don't mean our tithe. This is a separate category. Tithing is a command every one of us should be involved in. 10% goes to God no matter what. Uh, But to give in addition to tithe and to give when we have our own needs, that's grace giving. That's faith promise. And when we submit to it, he allows it to abound. Look at the phrase in verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. You know what? That's grace. 
that, that be, it says beyond their power. When we surrender to God, it gives us means beyond what even makes sense. It doesn't make sense that, that God could multiply our finances and, and give and, and stretch it in ways we never thought he could. But that's what he does when his grace is involved in our giving. I read a, a quote by William Booth who founded the Salvation Army. And he said, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. See, and here's why. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Here's why it it provides more power. Because as we surrender, we empty ourselves. And then as we empty ourselves, guess guess who fills up the vessel after that? God. So instead of being 95% Jason Jett and 5% God, if I completely surrender, I give God 100% of the vessel to fill up. And you talk about greater power than I could have on my own. The, 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 a man's power, uh, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. He gets to fill us to the brim when we surrender. That's the kind of power beyond I'd love to experience in my life. And when we give by grace, God gives us power beyond. He does more with our money than we ever could, investing it in the stock market and trying to play, play the market, invest in certain things. No, God gives power beyond when we give by grace. Fourth, give willingly. Give willingly. Look at verse, this is verse 3, in a few verses actually. Look at verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were What? willing of themselves. Look down in verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Uh, Look down in verse 12. He says, for if there be first a what mind? A willing mind. It is accepted according to that that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Look down in chapter 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful, cheerful giver. What's the, you get the idea, don't you, here, that giving should be a willing activity. We should never give in such a way that we, that we become victim, that we come self, or endure self-victimization. You know, when the Pharisees fasted, they put ashes on their head and they walked around and looked like they were about to die, to fall over dead from starvation. You know, giving should never be done grudgingly. It's not duty. It's not a have to. It's a get to. See, I try to correct my children when they talk about have to do this at church and I have to do, go serve in this capacity. No, listen, folks, anything we do for God is a get to. And there should be a genuine willingness when we give for God's sake. Give willingly. A lot of Christians give like it's a visit to the dentist. You know, you've got to do it, but you're not really all that excited about it. You know, if we give grudgingly, we surely won't be blessed the same. Don't play the victim card when it comes to giving. Give willingly. We're moving forward. Number five, give without exception. Verse seven, give without exception. So give willingly and then give without exception. Verse seven says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace 
also. And I, and I say give without exception because of the, the word that he uses, and he uses it twice. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, and then at the end, see that ye abound in this grace also. And you know what ye is, right? It's the plural form of the word you. You know who he's talking to? Everybody at the church at Corinth. So he's not saying, pastors and elders in Corinth, you, you abound or ye abound in giving. No, he's saying everybody. Nobody is exempt from grace giving. Paul said ye, it applies to the entire church. And according to this verse, every member of the church in Corinth was to be involved. It is a scriptural obligation to give to missions and invest in the work of the Great Commission. There should be no exception to faith promise giving. Here's why. None of us were left out when it came to God giving for our sake. I know some have more than others. Some have been blessed uh, immensely and I'm grateful, but we've all been recipients of God's blessing to some degree. See, when God gave to us, he didn't say, I will give except for you. I will give except for you. I will give except for you and you. That's a very Calvinistic approach uh, to the way God deals with us. And we're not, I'm not a Calvinist. Okay, you can say amen to that if you want to. God did not give with exceptions. He gave so that the whole world could be saved. So that anybody, whosoever will, may come. And if, if he gave like that, we should give without exception. And young people, I think about our young people. And to look around the room and, and I get excited about the young people in this room and, and the children in this room. And we've got three years old and all the way up and I'm grateful for it. Let me just talk to the kiddos for just a minute. Um, listen, I want to encourage you kids to talk to your parents about you being involved in giving weekly to missions. And you say, well, you know, I just, as a six-year-old, I just don't have a steady income right now. I'm in between jobs. Taxes are just, man, destroying me. You know, listen, if you will commit to give something reasonable, I think I just put it to the test. I think God will provide for you to give to missions. And you just ask your parents and talk to them. And that's the approach we should have. And we say amen to that. Listen, there's no exceptions when it comes to giving to missions. He said, every one of you can abound in this grace. And, and you might say, but I don't, you don't even understand. I don't have any money. I don't have a steady job. I really don't. I mean, all of these things are going on right now. But I think about the widow in Mark 12. And it says, when she gave two mites, Jesus told, looked at his disciples and said, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. And here's why. Because she gave all that she had. And it, without exception, every one of us should be involved in giving to missions. Everyone can give. There are no exceptions. Everything, uh, everything given has great value to God. And you say, well, you don't even know how, mu- how little I have to give. That doesn't matter to God. He talked about the widow with two mites and he singled her out. He notices it doesn't matter how big or how small. We just need to, t- to give without exception. Say, no matter what, even if it's not much, Lord, I want to give because you say that we should all abound in this grace. Give without exception. Number six, give thankfully. Look down in verses eight and nine. I love these verses. 
I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I could just read that verse over and over and meditate on the depths of its truths, but it leads us to this conclusion. Number six, give thankfully. Give thankfully. See, we have no greater motivation to give than the fact that Jesus Christ gave all for us. This verse, it absolutely should seal the deal in regards to our attitude in giving. If Jesus Christ gave all of himself so I could spend eternity in heaven, I should be grateful enough to give part of myself so someone else can spend eternity in heaven. It shouldn't be too much to ask if Christ gave all for me, for me then to give just a portion. If that's all he asks of me, that's less than what I should be giving. Give thankfully. You know, I think sometimes we, we give out of duty, and I get that. We give, we just go through the motions because that's what we do. Uh, but listen, we should, our, our giving should always be connected to the fact that Jesus Christ gave his all for us. Our greatest motivation for giving is the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. Give with gratitude. Paul says a major part of our motivation to give is what we've received in Christ. And then number seven, give cheerfully. Look down in chapter 9, verse 7. Again, this is give cheerfully. So we've got give thankfully is number 6. Number 7, give cheerfully. Look down in chapter 9, verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerfully is, this is great, it's hilaros. Now what does that sound like? Hilarious. You know, we should give, and when we give, we should feel hilarious about it. You say, well, that's exactly how I feel every time I give. I just want to laugh and laugh. I mean, that's what it says. Hilaros. It's to give hilariously. You know, it it means joyfully. You know what else it means? And this is good. It also means prompt. Prompt to do something. See, if you have a hilaros attitude, then you won't wait to give. You can't wait to give. You want to give. You want to be on time with it. You want to give promptly. You can, you know, and you can tell how excited people are about giving uh, based on how slowly or quickly they give. If they're quick to give, that means they've got a cheerful heart, heart to do it. But if they're, if they're slow to give, it likely means they're not as cheerful about it. I understand it's not always the case, but you can tell how excited people are by how quickly they do something. I mean, how quickly they sign up for something like the international potluck. How quickly you sign up then for a work day. How quickly you sign up to do something and be involved. How quickly you raise your hand for something. Your promptness signals your excitement. I mean, how early you come to services shows how cheerfully you're looking forward to and anticipating services. It matters. The promptness is a signal for our excitement. So folks, give cheerfully, give promptly, give excitedly. Be thrilled that God is using your resources to reach the lost through missions giving. This is an exciting opportunity. 
And we should not approach this like it's the dentist where it was something we have to do but not real excited. No, listen, I mean, if all, if all it takes is me to give a portion of my income so that a missionary can go across the ocean and witness to somebody and see somebody saved, I mean, that's, that's a small price to pay for me. I mean, I, can, I would be more than willing and happy and hilarious to do something like that. And the point that Paul makes to the church at Corinth is this. Financing, financing missions is more about willingness than wealth. Financing missions is more about willingness than wealth. And we think, well, you know, if we just had money, if I just had $500,000, I would give a lot to all of our missionaries. No, God's not as interested in that. He's not looking for people to give out of abundance. He's looking for people that are just willing to give. And then he takes what we give and beyond our power through his grace, he transforms it and stretches it and does something more than we ever could if we had six or seven figures in our bank account. Financing missions is more about willingness than wealth. And through his grace, he can turn our small investments into great returns. Making a difference, folks, it's not about wealth. It's about willingness. And you say, well, I just can't give very much. That's okay. It's, it's not about wealth. It's, it's about willingness. It's about you saying, I, even though I can't give much, I'm willing to give even if it's a small amount because I know what God's grace can do with this small amount. It's about willingness. So this is the motivating part. But let's take a step back then and, and look at, okay, well, what does this look like? See, it looks like faith promise missions. That's the structure that we've chosen to place over the top of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. See, these are the principles that motivate us to give. But Faith Promise Missions, it gives form to these principles. And it all begins with us being willing to give by faith. See, no great work for God is accomplished without faith. Without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please Him. So just a couple of chapters later here in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 10, verses 15 and 16, look at that. It says, not boasting, chapter 10, verse 15, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me just sum it up. I'm just going to take the key phrases. Here's what Paul says. He says, when your faith is increased, we shall be enlarged by you to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. So when our faith is increased, folks, what Paul is saying is that our faith, as our faith is increased, it enlarges the missionary and it allows him to preach the gospel in regions beyond. Paul's making the case for faith promise missions giving. And it begins with the faith of those that are giving toward those that are going. It all starts with faith. Our faith leads to a commitment or, or a promise. In addition to our tithes and offerings, every member or every family is challenged to make a one-year weekly commitment to missions. And we all make anonymous pledges. Your, Your pledge is not shown to everybody, but it allows our church to plan and budget to support missionaries and invest in missions works. And the commitment or promise begins with your faith. 
So what you have to do is you take the principles that Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and you say, this is how we're supposed to give. And so by faith, I am then going to take these principles, and by faith, I'm going to enact on them, upon them, a commitment or a promise to God for the next year on a weekly basis. You're putting faith to God's word. Now, let me clarify. Many people assume that faith means that you pledge something and then you just trust God to bring it in. And I want you to pay attention here because this, uh, this may get a little confusing, but I want to hope you, hopefully you'll see my line of reasoning. See, I don't necessarily believe that we should just pledge something and trust God to bring it in. If it doesn't come in, you know, that mindset leaves our missionaries unsupported. You think about that. If you just, I, I want to have great faith, and so I'm just going to pray and trust God. I'm going to give this amount. I'm not sure where it even would come from. It's more than I make in a year, but you know, this is what I think I should give. No, I don't think that's the, the mindset here, because that leaves our missionaries the ones having to live by faith and not us. See, many will ask a question like this. How much can I trust God to provide for a faith promise commitment every week? In other words, they're asking, how much do I trust God to bring in additional funds for faith promise? And that's not bad. I just don't think that's the right question. See, because if it doesn't come in, our missionaries are left hung out to dry. A better way to ask might be this. How much can I give to faith promise every week and still trust God to meet my needs? And there's a difference there. How much can I give to faith promise every week and still trust God to meet my needs? See, the first question, how much is God going to bring in so I can give? The first question becomes a matter of faith on the part of our missionaries. And if we operate that way, it puts our missionaries at risk because then we blindly commit something to them. But if it doesn't come in, we don't give and they get left without support. And, and it's hard to find a second job on the mission field. But the second question, again, how much can I Give to faith promise and still trust God to meet all of my needs. That makes the mission's commitment firm and it makes my needs faith. See, this, this question means we're determining to trust God to help us live within his provision after our faith promise commitment. This is not saying that faith promise is going to be an addition and if it doesn't come in, I won't give it. No, this is saying faith promise, promise is part of my budget. It's part of my weekly commitment, and I'm trusting God to take care of my other needs. And it's really a more responsible question because it causes us to be the ones that are living by faith rather than someone over, over the sea, overseas. It'd be like saying this, well, I'm going to rent an apartment with my roommates, and, and we come together and, and we say, okay, we're going to each give this certain amount um, a month to help pay for it, and I commit to it, and I say, okay, here, I, anything extra I get, I promise you guys, it's going to go straight toward my rent. And that would leave them scratching their heads. They're going to say, well, that doesn't fly, because if extra doesn't come in, that means I'm fitting the bill. And then you have a problem with your roommates. But see, we're having faith that that work will be steady. We're trusting God that it will that he will bring in the extra income throughout the year. It, we are laying the burden of faith on me instead of somebody else. And, and that extra, if I'm, if I'm talking to my roommates and I'm saying I'm gonna, anything extra I'm going to give to rent. No, I should say, no, rent is part of my main budget. 
And if extra comes in, then that will go to some of those, those peripheral personal needs. But I'm committing to you guys that I will give as part of my budget to, to our rent. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like faith. It sounds like budgeting. Well, yeah, it does. But it is faith. It's responsible faith. See, we're still trusting that God will provide an income. We're having faith that work will be steady, that we'll have the resources to give for the, every week for the whole year. That takes faith. I mean, I don't know if you've ever filled something out, a, a card or a missions commitment. It's a vow before God, and man, you feel serious about it. You know what I'm talking about? You've ever, you've ever filled one out, and you're thinking, okay, yes, I, I think that this can work, but this is for a whole year. It requires faith. It just requires responsible faith. And again, it doesn't mean taking it out of our tithes and regular offerings. I and mean, That's separate. This is in addition. Everything we give and commit is by faith. Stretch yourself, sure. Give something. Give sacrificially. But exercise responsible faith so that our church can get behind missionaries and know with confidence that we're going to be able to fulfill our obligations in support. This program has a lot of advantages. It gets you directly involved in Great Commission work. I mean, that's our mission. It also helps us as individuals be more missions-minded. Listen, if you're writing a check every week or you're giving to missions online a certain amount, you're thinking about how much goes to missions, you're going to be more aware and more sensitive to and more bought into missions, which will lead to more involvement, more support, more ability to give when to help with special offerings, maybe even more lives surrendered to go because missions uh, weekly is on our minds. This is, this is important stuff. Because and we, remember, the Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if every week I'm thinking, when I write a check and part of it goes to missions, if every week I'm thinking about missions, missions is much more on my mind than I'm just giving my tithes and then the church is giving a certain percentage of that to missions. Now this, this is a proven program and it works and it matters and it's significant. And all the things that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians, those should be our motivation to get involved. We should give ourselves sacrificially, by grace, willingly, without exception, thankfully, cheerfully. We have plenty of motivation. Faith promise missions, though, is the application. You see the difference? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's the motivation. You say, well, how do I live it out? Well, you live it out through faith promise missions. That's the application. It gives us an outlet through which our hearts for missions can be expressed. Faith promise missions provides an organized structure for a biblical practice. It's an organized structure for a biblical practice. So my questions tonight is, will you get involved? Will you give sacrificially to the offering today? Will you give faithfully to the weekly commitment? Will you give cheerfully? Will you give willingly Will you give thankfully and without exception? Because here's the big question, though. Will you give your life? Will you tell God, I'm willing to surrender to whatever you want from me in the area of missions? And if it means more weekly, I'm all in. If it means, if it's more missions activity in my daily life, God, I surrender to that. If it's my whole life, I'm not just involved. I'm committed. I'm all in. Here's my prayer every year at missions time. And I'm just going to be very transparent. So I'm a pastor. 
For most of my adult life, I worked on church staff as an associate pastor. I worked with young people, worked with music. But every year at Missions Revival, I, I, I think every year before God, my prayer was this. God, would you allow me to be a missionary? Would you allow, would you allow me to give my life overseas or wherever it is, God, would you allow me to be a missionary? Because I just want to tell you that I'd be willing if you want me to be a missionary. And we might say, well, well, that sounds like a radical thing to pray. No, what it was doing was putting me in a position that if I gave God all of myself, that there was nothing that following week at Missions Revival that he'd ask of me that'd be too big for me to give him. Because if I've already in my heart prayed and surrendered everything I have to him, then everything else, yeah, God, you can have that. A $25 a month or a week increase, that feels pretty big. But last week I said, if you want me to be a missionary, I'd be willing to go. So $25 a week, yeah, that's no big deal. Listen, if we would be willing to give him our lives, then there's nothing this week at Missions Revival he asks of us that seems too big. And what it does, it allows us then um, to go through these principles that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians and say, well, I'd be willing to to give in every way that Paul lists here. I'd be willing to give sacrificially because I've already given him myself. I'd be willing to give by grace because, I mean, obviously he has to make it happen. I'd be willing to give, I'm willing to give willingly. I'm willing to give without exception. I'm willing to give thankfully. I'm willing to give cheerfully. In other words, God, there's, I'm willing to give in every way that you teach us how to give because you have my life. So if I can pray that, then I can pray, God, how much more? And if I can pray, God, here's my life, I can pray, God, help me give willingly. Help me to give in grace. Help me to give cheerfully. Help me to give sacrificially. If I can pray and give God my life, there's nothing else too big for me to pray. And tonight, what I would ask for you to do, because you think, well, this is just a faith promise lesson, really, Well, no, faith promise is not about the program. It's about about our hearts being surrendered to God. And if he has our hearts, our faith promise will all fall in line. And yeah, I know there's some details and maybe you're, you're worried about how things might work out. Listen, just give yourself to God. Start with yourself. And then as we give ourselves, the rest of it comes in. It's so much easier. It's so much simpler. And you say, well, I don't know if I pray that God might call me to missions. Well, if that's what God does, praise the Lord. Because if that's what he calls you to, that's what you're supposed to do. And I truly believe if we would approach this week with a surrendered mindset, God will do more than than we even dream. It just depends, though, if we're willing to be committed or just involved. It's time to surrender and say, God, whatever you have for me this week, I'm willing to do it. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.